Chapter 32 The Need of a City Man A philosopher has remarked that if a man knew that he had thirty years of life before him, it would not be an unwise thing to spend twenty of those years in mapping out a plan of living and putting himself under rule, for he would do more with the ten well-arranged years than with the whole thirty if he spent them at random. There is much truth in that saying. A man will not do much by firing off his gun if he has not learned to take aim. I am possibly addressing some people who have so far lived haphazardly. If so, I invite them to a more hopeful method of living. To have a great many ambitions and intentions is much the same thing as having no aim at all. For if a man shoots at many things, he will hit none, or none worth hitting. It's a great thing to know what we are living for, and to live for a worthy purpose with the undivided energy of our being. When the end comes, will we have made a success of life? Has our purpose been a right one, and has it been rightly pursued? Are the results of our conduct such as we will wish them to have been when the conflict of this mortal life is over? These questions deserve consideration at once. Another question arises out of them. What place should religion occupy in reference to a person's life? That's a question that naturally arises in the arranging of life, for whatever we choose to think of it, there is such a thing as religion in the world, and there is within us some yearning after spiritual things. We cannot help feeling that we need somewhat more than this visible world can offer us. Many of us find our greatest joy in the cultivation of that feeling, for to us it is the sign of our spiritual nature and the prophecy of immortality. To us, this life is mainly worth living because it promises to be the introduction to a better life. Alas, for love, if thou wert all and naught beyond, O earth. Footnote These lines are from The Graves of a Household, a poem by Felicia Hemans, 1793-1835. It would be sad if this life were all, and there were not a higher and better state of existence. No ringing of the church bells would be more mournful than that which signified the death of man's hope of immortality. What position should religion occupy in your life and mine? The answer must depend very much upon another question. What is religion, and what does religion itself demand? What are the requirements of the great God, and of the soul, and of eternity? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew 6.33. Needless and excessive anxiety is very common among city men, and is not rare anywhere. Certain of us are nervous, timid, doubtful, and prone to fear. There are plenty of pessimists around, although they will hardly recognize themselves by that title. To them, something bad is always just ahead. We are about to take a leap in the dark. All their birds are owls or ravens. All their swans are black. If it rains today, it will rain tomorrow, and the next day, and the next, and in all probability there will be a flood. Or, if it is fine today, it will be dry tomorrow, and so on for months, and the earth and all the meadows will perish with drought. As for the sun, they observe with pleasing despair that it has spots. They hardly notice its light, but they dwell upon its spots with thoughtful horror. 
minds of this sort, find poisons in trees, deaths in the running brooks, dirges in stones, and ill in everything. Footnote. This seems to be based upon a couple of lines from William Shakespeare's play As You Like It that say, Finds tongues in trees, books in the running brooks, sermons in stones, and good in everything. I suppose they cannot help it, yet Christian men must help it, for the Lord's command is plain and binding. Be not therefore anxious. Matthew 6, 25-34. Fretful anxiety is forbidden to the Christian. It is needless. Behold the fowls of the air, said Christ, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Matthew 6.26. If you have a Father in heaven to care for you, are you not put to shame by every little bird that sits upon the branch and sings, even though it doesn't have two grains of barley in all the world? God takes charge of the fowls of the air, and thus they live free from care. Why don't we? Our Lord also taught that such anxiety is useless as well as needless, for with all our care we cannot add a cubit to our stature. Matthew 6, 27. Can we do anything else by fretful concern? What if the farmer laments that there is no rain? Do his fears unstop the bottles of heaven? Or if the merchant moans because the wind detains the ship from bringing his merchandise, Will his complaining turn the gale to a different direction? We do not better ourselves a bit by all our worry and anger. It would be infinitely wiser to do our best and then cast our care upon our God. 1 Peter 5 7. Prudence is wisdom, for it adapts means to ends, but anxiety is folly, for it groans and worries and accomplishes nothing. Besides, according to our Saviour, anxiety about worldly things is what the unbelievers do. After all these things do the Gentiles seek. Matthew 6.32. They have no God and no providence, and therefore they try to be a providence to themselves. As for the man of God, who can say, God's providence is my inheritance, why should he despair because of trouble? Let the heir of heaven act a nobler part than the mere man of the world, who has his portion in this life and who lives without God and without hope. Our distrust of God is childish and dishonoring. I was going through the streets one day, driven by a friend in a four-wheeled coach, and he, being a good driver, needed to drive into narrow places, where it seemed to me that we would be crushed by the wagons and other large vehicles. I hesitated in my timidity and expressed my unwise alarms quite freely. With a smile, he placed the reins in my hand and said, If you can't trust me, would you like to drive yourself? I was entirely free from that ambition, and I assured him that he could drive as he liked rather than make me the driver. Certainly, our great God could well put the same proposal to those who are complaining of his providence. If we cannot trust him, could we manage better ourselves? If we are men in Christ, let us believe in our God. Let us leave the governance of the great world outdoors, and of the little world within our own gates, to the Lord God our Heavenly Father.
who will surely cause all things to work together for good to those who love Him. Romans 8.28 It's clear that within us there is a propensity to be anxious. Can we not utilize it? Can we not put it to use for us? I think so. Some people are naturally thoughtful and careful. Can they not transform this tendency into a benefit? We have a tendency to be anxious. Very well, then, let us be anxious, but let our anxiety run in the right direction. This is a mental excitement. Let us apply it to some useful purpose. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek that with all your care. Seek that with all your energy. Be anxious about that. Let your whole mind run in that direction with eagerness and thought. You cannot be too careful or too energetic when God and righteousness are concerned. True religion, what is it? Without using a single unnecessary theological term, I can answer that true religion is the kingdom of God. I may say that the great God has always had a kingdom in this world. In previous times, He set up a kingdom among His people Israel, to whom He gave laws and statutes, but now the Lord is King over all the world. The God of the whole earth shall He be called. Isaiah 54, 5. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Psalm 24, 1. God has a kingdom in this world, but it is too much neglected and forgotten by men. The first thing to be done by us is to enter that kingdom. Blessed is that man who has the Lord God to be his king, and has learned to arrange his life according to divine law. The highest liberty comes from wearing the yoke of God. The servant of men who dares not call his soul his own is a servant to be pitied, but the servant of God who fears nothing but sin is a man of princely character. We must bow before God so that we may conquer among men. If we determine to surrender ourselves entirely to the Lord, we will become influential among our fellow men. We can only enter into this kingdom of God by being born again of His Spirit, for, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3, 3. In that new birth, we learn to submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and to find eternal life in Him. God has appointed the Lord Jesus heir of all things. By Him also He made the worlds. Hebrews 1, 2. He says of Him, Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and ye perish from the way, when His wrath is kindled but a little. Psalm 2, 12. Faith in Christ casts our sins at the foot of His cross and brings us an inward life unto holiness. We must believe in Jesus and trust in His great atonement for sin, for apart from His full atonement there is no salvation and no true service of God. This faith puts us into the kingdom of God, for to as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. John 1, 12. The first concern of every person should be to be a loyal subject of the kingdom of God. When we feel that we are reconciled to God and are under His supreme control, our next goal should be to continue there 
and to become more and more completely obedient to divine rule so that we may more fully enjoy every privilege of the kingdom. In the kingdom of God, every man is a king and a priest. Revelation 1, 6, 5, 10. He who serves God reigns. He who serves God is the possessor of all things. All things are ours when we are Christ's. This world is ours and worlds to come. Earth is our lodge and heaven our home. Footnote These lines come from a hymn by Isaac Watts, 1674-1748, that begins with, How vast the treasure we possess. Let the Christian seek to know to the fullest what is the heritage of the saints in Christ Jesus. Our next business should be to spread that kingdom, to try to bring others under the dominion of Christ. It should be the life work of each person to bring others to confess the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus. What opportunities most of you possess, your position, your education, and your wealth, all give you advantages for serving the Lord. Are you using them? It's a great joy to the Christian minister to have people around him who are missionaries in their daily lives. With great joy, I have listened to some poor girl who has confessed her faith in Christ and then has added very timidly, There's another girl waiting outside who would like to speak to you. She works with me in a warehouse in the city, and I spoke to her. She sought Jesus, and I believe she is converted. I'm afraid that many people who run a business are less diligent in winning souls than the poor workers they employ. Should it be so? He lives most and lives best who is the means of imparting spiritual life to others. May not some of you eventually come to a lonely end from lack of usefulness? Not long ago we heard of the shipwreck from which a mother was washed on shore, but all her children were found drowned. Footnote: This telegraph in 1873 was from Anna Spafford to Horatio Spafford, the author of the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. The children who drowned were all daughters, aged twelve, seven, four, and eighteen months. She telegraphed to her husband two words. The first was very pleasing to his eye, saved. The next was full of misery, alone. Would you or I like to have it so? Saved, alone? God forbid. When we reach heaven's gate, may we be able to say, Here am I and the children that you have given me. Isaiah 8, 18. This is the meaning of seeking the kingdom of God. The reign of our Lord is to be our main objective if we desire to lead a well-ordered, useful, happy, and honored life.